welcome to the latest in our finals countdown series, brought to you by MedTalks. Doing a series of episodes across the specialties targeted at final year medical students as you prepare for your upcoming finals. This episode is part of our neurology programme, and today we're going to be talking about the two most common neurodegenerative disorders, Alzheimer's dementia and idiopathic Parkinson's disease. We'll cover their pathophysiology, clinical features, diagnosis and management, and also touch upon some other conditions that fall under the spectrum of dementia and Parkinsonism disorders. I'm Barrett Wadge and I'm currently a junior doctor working in the East Midlands. We hope you've been enjoying the series so far and welcome your suggestions for other topics you'd like us to cover. So dementia encompasses a range of disorders and, broadly speaking, refers to progressive decline across a range of cognitive domains classically seen in older adults presenting with gradual impairment in memory over a period of several months or even years. The origin of the word is rather unfortunate and comes from the Latin for di, meaning without, and mens, meaning mind. Before we talk about Alzheimer's dementia, which is overwhelmingly the most common cause of dementia, accounting for up to 70% of all cases, let's briefly touch on some of the other subtypes. Vascular dementia represents up to a quarter of dementia diagnoses and occurs as a result of several small strokes, known as lacunar infarcts, typically seen in patients at risk of vascular disease, such as patients with diabetes, high blood pressure and heart disease. Cognitive decline often comes on more suddenly compared to Alzheimer's, which runs a more gradual and insidious course. Lewy body dementia is another common cause of dementia and is characterised by the presence of Lewy bodies which are a type of intracytoplasmic inclusion bodies in the brainstem and neocortex. It may be associated with fluctuating cognition, visual hallucinations, and, in its late stage, Parkinsonism. Importantly, antipsychotic drugs, which are rarely used to treat non-cognitive symptoms such as psychosis and agitation in severe Alzheimer's, should not be used in Lewy body dementia, as it may increase the risk of neuroleptic malignant syndrome, or NMS. NMS is a rare but severe life-threatening reaction to antipsychotics, characterised by a high fever, rigidity and seizures. Frontotemporal dementia, or FTD, meanwhile, may present as behavioural changes, disinhibition and executive impairment, due to atrophy of the temporal and frontal lobes in the brain. Pick's disease is a type of FTD, characterised by the presence of PIC inclusion bodies on histology. There is a small overlap in patients affected by both FTD and motor neuron disease or MND, with 15% of patients diagnosed with FTD going on to develop MND and 15% of those diagnosed with MND going on to develop FTD. This is thought to be due to the same genetic defect and gene mutations being implicated in both diseases. The final non-Alzheimer's condition we'll touch upon is Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease or CJD which is characterised by progressive dementia, but almost always also presents with myoclonus. Other associated symptoms include focal neurological deficits and eye signs such as diplopia and visual field defects. CJD occurs due to the accumulation of highly infective proteins in the brain called prions. The majority of cases are sporadic, with symptoms occurring later, whilst a small number are affected by variant CJD typically seen in younger patients and associated with psychiatric features such as anxiety and personality changes. Variant CJD is believed to have arisen due to spread from cows. 
the disease in cattle is known as bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or more commonly known as mad cow disease. We'll now move on to Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's dementia, which, as we've already said, is by far the most common cause of dementia. Alzheimer's is among the most debilitating of disorders and is extremely distressing for both patients and carers alike. The pathophysiology of Alzheimer's is actually quite well understood and thought to be due to the accumulation of the beta-amyloid peptide to form plaques and neurofibrillary tangles, with resultant neuronal damage and loss of the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. The neurons in the hippocampus, amygdala and temporal neocortex are particularly vulnerable, hence the memory loss and cognitive impairment observed in Alzheimer's patients. Alzheimer's disease may classically present as persistent, progressive and global cognitive impairment, which is to say there is an impairment across several domains, unlike in other dementias where some, but not all, domains may be affected. This may manifest as problems with memory, speech, vision and spatial awareness, executive function and planning, and also anosognosia, which is the unfortunate lack of insight or understanding into their illness. As the disease progresses, patients may become more labile in their mood, fluctuating between aggression and depression, display psychotic features such as hallucinations and delusions, before ultimately becoming entirely sedentary and withdrawn and taking little interest in anything. Diagnosis is largely clinical and is predicated upon a robust history, both from the patient, as far as is possible, and from their carers, looking particularly at the timeline of their decline. Cognitive testing is also important through the use of validated tools such as the abbreviated mental test score or AMTS. The AMTS involves a series of questions such as the patient's age, their current location, the year a significant event took place such as the start of the war, and asking the patient to recall a given address, with a score of less than 8 indicating a degree of cognitive impairment. A thorough workup is however necessary to exclude other pathology and possible organic causes for a patient's cognitive decline. This includes a full confusion screen including bone profile, vitamin B12 and folate levels and thyroid function tests, as well as inflammatory markers, a urine dip and chest x-ray to exclude an infective etiology. A CT head should also be considered to exclude potential structural causes such as an infarct, bleed or space occupying lesion. The mainstay of treatment for Alzheimer's are acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, such as donepazil, rivastigmine, and galantamine, with anti-glutamatergics, such as memantine, typically reserved for late-stage disease. Antipsychotics may also rarely be indicated for patients in whom severe non-cognitive symptoms, such as psychosis and agitation, become especially distressing. I wanted to finish by talking about dementia by commenting on the key differences with two other similar presentations, delirium and depression. The most obvious difference between the three is of course the onset. In delirium, this is typically acute, occurring over hours to days. Depression may come on over weeks to months and dementia over months to years. Delirium follows an acute course with treatment of the underlying cause, such as an infection, metabolic disturbance or constipation leading to near-total resolution of the delirium. Depression and dementia, meanwhile, follow a more chronic course, with the former often exhibiting a good response to treatment, and the latter progressing over time despite treatment. Patients may also have differing degrees of self-awareness and insight into their condition. 
whereas individuals suffering with depression are likely to be concerned about their memory impairment, those with dementia are unlikely to be aware of their cognitive deficits. We'll move on now to talking about Parkinsonism and idiopathic Parkinson's disease. Parkinsonism refers to the triad of symptoms of arresting tremor, rigidity and bradyhypnia or akinesia. With the addition of a fourth symptom, postural instability, Parkinsonism can be helpfully remembered by the mnemonic TRAP. The tremor observed in Parkinson's may sometimes be seen as a pill-rolling tremor and occurs at rest, unlike in cerebellar pathology, which is characterised by an intention tremor. Similarly, Parkinson's generally produces cogwheel rigidity during pronation and supination of the arm, whereas upper motor neuron lesions such as a stroke causes spasticity and the classical clasp knife response, which is a sudden reduction in tone after an initial resistance. Bradykinesia is characterised by a slowness of movement, with a shuffling gait, reduced arm swing and a mask-like facial expression. Parkinson's disease is the most common cause of Parkinsonism, affecting almost 150,000 people in the UK. The disease is characterised by the accumulation of alpha-synuclein proteins to form inclusion bodies known as Lewy bodies, with a resultant loss of dopaminergic neurons in the brainstem, basal ganglia and cortex. In addition to the cardinal symptoms we've already spoken about, patients may also have non-motor symptoms, which may be as distressing as the motor symptoms themselves. These include autonomic dysfunction, such as constipation, urinary retention, postural hypotension, and dribbling, as well as sleep disturbances. Interestingly, patients with Parkinson's are often observed to have hyposmia, or a diminished sense of smell, which may be due to the accumulation of the alpha-synuclein protein in the olfactory bulb where smell is processed. As with dementia, diagnosis is primarily clinical, and based on the observation of the key Parkinsonian symptoms of tremor, bradykinesia, and rigidity. Symptoms are often more pronounced on one side, and so a symmetrical presentation should raise suspicion for alternate, alternate diagnoses. Again, imaging of the brain using an MRI scan may be indicated to exclude structural causes for a patient's presentation. Though there exists a range of pharmacological options for Parkinson's disease, the cornerstone of therapy is levodopa, which is a dopamine precursor. The efficacy of treatment with levodopa reduces with time, however, with patients requiring larger and more frequent doses over time. The side effects also worsen with time, and patients with late-stage Parkinson's disease on large doses of levodopa may observe the on-off phenomenon, which is the switch between mobility and immobility due to end-of-dose worsening of motor function. To that end, the timing of initiating levodopa is especially important, and is often reserved for patients in whom their Parkinson's seriously affects their quality of life. Levodopa is usually co-administered with dopa-decarboxylase inhibitors such as benserazide or carbidopa, which prevent the peripheral metabolism and decarboxylation of levodopa into dopamine. Peripheral dopamine can have several unpleasant side effects such as nausea, vasoconstriction and arrhythmias. In addition, dopamine cannot cross the blood-brain barrier whilst levodopa can, and therefore inhibiting peripheral decarboxylation is essential. The combined preparation of levodopa and dopa-decarboxylase inhibitors commonly used are co-caroldopa or cinnamet and co-beneldopa or madapar. Side effects of levodopa include dyskinesia, psychosis, and GI disturbances.
Dopamine agonists may also be trialled in early Parkinson's to delay the onset of levodopa. These may be non-ergot preparations such as retigotine, which is available as a transdermal patch, and ergot-derived preparations such as bromocryptine and cabagoline. Ergot preparations have generally fallen out of favour though due to their association with retroperitoneal, pericardial and pleural fibrosis. Other adjunctive treatments include catecholomethyltransferase or COMPT inhibitors such as entcopone, like which, like benserazide and carbidopa, prevents the peripheral breakdown of levodopa into dopamine. Other treatments include monoamine oxidase inhibitors such as rosagiline and selegiline, which work by preventing dopamine breakdown by monoamine oxidase in the brain and therefore increasing the amount of circulating dopamine. You can't talk about monoamine oxidase inhibitors without mentioning the med school and MCQ favourite cheese reaction. This is the phenomenon observed when certain cheeses and other foods high in tyramine are consumed. Tyramine is a peripherally acting sympathomimetic, which is normally broken down by monoamine oxidase. The concurrent use of a monoamine oxidase inhibitor will therefore lead to increased levels of tyramine, which in turn leads to increased release of catecholamines such as adrenaline and noradrenaline, with a resultant hypertensive crisis and tachycardia. All very academic, but beware the pesky exam question asking about the Stilton enthusiast feeling a bit worse for wear after his morning resagiline. We'll finish then by talking about the Parkinson's Plus syndromes, which are a collection of conditions characterised by the classical Parkinsonian features, but with additional features distinguishing them from idiopathic Parkinson's disease. These are progressive supranuclear palsy, or PSP or Steele-Richardson-Olszewski syndrome, multiple system atrophy, or MSA or Shai-Draga syndrome, Lewy body dementia, corticobasal degeneration, or CBD, and vascular Parkinsonism, and can be remembered by the mnemonic VIVID. So the first V relates to a vertical gaze palsy and is associated with falls, speech and swallowing difficulties and postural instability and corresponds with the features seen in progressive supranuclear palsy. The first I relates to impotence, incontinence and other autonomic disturbances such as postural hypertension and is in keeping with multi-system atrophy. The second V relates to visual hallucinations and cognitive impairment and an early dementia presentation, which may be observed in Lewy body dementia. The second I is, at a stretch, interfering or involuntary movements of a limb, or the so-called alien limb phenomenon, with akinetic rigidity involving one limb and cortical sensory impairment or astereognosis, as seen in corticobasal degeneration. The D relates to the diabetic, hypertensive or other vascular path patient presenting with pyramidal signs in the legs and ataxia, which would be in keeping with vascular Parkinsonism. I'm not sure if that mnemonic just confused you more than you were before, but give it a listen or three. It does make sense. Promise. That concludes this episode on neurodegenerative disorders as part of the Neurology Medical School Finals revision series. We've covered Alzheimer's dementia and Parkinson's disease, as well as some of the more uncommon, but no less debilitating conditions that fall under the umbrella of dementia and Parkinsonism disorders. I hope you found this episode useful, and until next time, this is me tuning out. Please remember to subscribe to our channel, follow our Instagram page, and check out our website for more great resources. Thanks. Mm -hmm.